Hey again, travel bosses. I'm excited to bring you this week's sponsor, TripStreak, the smarter travel search. What I love about TripStreak is the ability to set your personal preferences to either have or avoid red-eye flights or have things like completely lie-flat seats. So the next time you need to book a flight, check out tripstreak.com slash travel like a boss. Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, the radio show all about traveling like a boss by being your own boss. Stay tuned for weekly interviews featuring guests that have built their own online businesses. If you would like to have access to our entire back catalog, visit travellikeabosspodcast.com for instant access. And here's your host, Johnny Epstein. Hey guys, it's Johnny, and welcome to episode 159 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I'm here with Mike LaRosa. Hola. Hola from Barcelona. Barcelona. Actually, we're not even in Barcelona. We're not our north, I guess? Yeah. Well, she knows. We're like way further. We're, Is it? The train was Probably about an hour, hour on, the, on the the bullet, like the fastest train, no okay. stops. Well, we took the slowest one then, I Did guess. Did you? Maybe we were on the same one. No, that was the fastest one. Was that the fastest sure. one? Well, oh, wow. I had a few stops, but not, not as many as, <laughs> as normal. Um, and then it was the 30 minute drive. So we were, we were probably like an hour and a half, two hours into the mountains of Spain in Catalonia. Catalonia. I mean, the view is just incredible here. Yeah. So we're actually at a co-working retreat put on by co-workation. Mm-hmm. And like you guys won't fucking believe where we are. It's yeah, we need to like do. We most definitely need to get some shots of this. It's a monastery from the 12th century that apparently was destroyed in the Spanish Civil War. Um, and there's a uh, some folks here that started rebuilding it. I guess what two years ago, Stu said, year and a half ago. So I so I didn't know anything about this until like <laughs> literally days ago. So yes. <laughs> the reason why I'm here is my buddy Sam Marks, who co-hosts Invest Like a Boss. Was like, hey, buddy, you gonna be in Barcelona? I'm like, yep. He's like, well, me and Leanne, co- uh, his co-founder of Coworker.com, yes, was gonna go to this retreat, and it was, and all he said, I didn't look at the website, didn't look at any photos. All he said was, it's gonna be like hour and a half away in the mountains, mm-hmm. and it's gonna be all you can eat and all you can drink included. Yep, with a pool. No, he didn't say that. He didn't, oh, he didn't tell you the pool. He nothing. He told me oh. nothing. And he's like, do you want to come hang out for a week? And I was like, yeah, sure, sign me up. I love it. And I didn't even look at the website until last night. Oh, that's great. <laughs> well, I'm glad you, glad you signed up and paid before you saw the site. <laughs> but no, no, co-workation's amazing. I uh, I met Stu, God, probably two years ago at uh, co-working on Conference Asia. Uh-huh. Um, and he's done a bunch of co-workation packages all over the world and uh, trips. And uh, we kind of brainstormed last fall and said, why don't we do one that's kind of themed for co-working? So we've got a bunch of folks coming that either own or operate a co-working space uh-huh. or are looking to open one or are in the process of opening one and just wanted to geek out with us co-workaholics for a couple nights. Well, just let everyone know, I'm not planning on opening a co-working space. <laughs> I like working out of some of them, yeah. but I definitely don't imagine myself ever opening any physical business, especially co-working space. That's probably smart because most people that end up opening a co-working space... Uh, we'll probably not admit, but a couple days a week they probably don't work there because they if they did they wouldn't get any any work done. So yeah, I've actually heard you, that a lot. If you enjoy co working, then opening a space might not be exactly for you. I don't know. I don't want to say that, but it's just kind of funny. It's well, kind of like this yeah. little dirty secret, right? But or I think this, that's for every business, right? It is. Yeah. Well, because it is your business, and you have to be on, and so it's hard to 
go through the email inbox and do all the work stuff that has to be done when your members are, you know, asking you or talking to you or you're, you know, giving tours or whatnot. So, yeah. And even like the sh- people that I know that work at a restaurant, they're a chef. They're not at home cooking up gourmet meals. No. <laughs> they're making like mac and cheese yep. or like ramen, ramen <laughs> a lot of ramen. They're so sick of their work. So I think that's, that's kind of what's nice about our, you know, our lives as kind of location independent entrepreneurs is I don't want to say we like kind of just show up places and just, but we do. We kind of do, right? Well, but, there's great opportunities, right? I mean, you, it allows you the free or the ability to take advantage of those. Cause how many times, I don't know about you, but when I had a desk job, a nine to five traditional corporate gig, there were so many times where I could go somewhere, but then I couldn't, right? Cause I only had my two weeks vacation, <laughs> you know? So having the freedom allows you just to kind of open up your eyes a little bit and, and kind of ex- experience what maybe you were meant to experience and cause you can take the chance. Yeah. And we have the time, freedom of both time and money. I think that's the, the key is a lot of people have money because, you know, they have this great corporate job, but then they're working all the time. Yeah. And then some people have a lot of free time. Maybe they're retired. Maybe they, they have no job and they're broke, yeah. but then they can't afford to travel. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. I think what, what's the Dalai Lama has a really great quote that we work so hard to make money, but then we work ourselves sick and we have to spend that money to then. Uh, heal ourselves. Heal again. ourselves. Yeah. You know, or it's like the fight club quote, right? It's, you know, you work jobs you hate to make money, to pay for things you don't need, to impress people you don't like. Yeah. So, but yeah, anyway. And it's so true. And actually, you know, that's a good point that that's the, the kind of third part of, you know, you either have time or money and not both. The third yeah. part is you either have time, money, or health and or health and very few all three because you can technically be retired. Yeah. Have, you know, a bunch of money in the bank, have plenty of free time, but then by then, maybe you don't have your health. Yeah. And you can't, you can't do everything you want. I think that's, uh, there's, I think so many people that are now kind of starting to experience that where they do dream for retirement, right? And then unfortunately life happens. And then, you know, you look back and go, Oh shit. Um, maybe I should have done what I wanted to do when I could have instead of saying, Oh, one day, one day, you know? Yeah. So why not today? So to kind of give you guys a, like a setting, you, you want to describe where we're sitting right now? We are on the pool, I guess, pool deck or pool area overlooking this amazing kind of like valley or gully and mountains. And there's like cityscapes over there. And we've got this adorable little Wolfshire Terrier named Berta, who's adorable, loves playing catch. I don't know. It's pretty great. I think a photo would do better than my description, but <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely make make the a photo of this place, the, the album, the album cover, and I'll have some photos in the show notes. So if you guys want to click on that, you, you can take a look. But I mean, it's we just arrived, so I, I I'm, it, I'm I'm sure I'll talk more about the actual retreat and the the place after we sell it more. But I mean, we've just been here for like two hours, and I'm ready. I'm like, I'm so happy I'm here. It's yeah, a fucking monastery. It is. And I mean, just, I just feel so much more relaxed. You know, like I've just been, I've been very tightly wound. Well, I am normally. You'll get to know me. <laughs> I mean, Johnny and I literally just met. We met, <laughs> we were all on the same train and he and I are crammed in this little elevator. And then as we rolled off the elevator, we're like, Oh yeah, you're here for the same thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Perfect timing. And, <laughs> but yeah, most definitely just there's peace, yeah. right? It's quiet and it's. Actually, kind of reminds me of—I don't know if you guys ever played Assassin's Creed, mm. but it reminds I mean, me of like the monastery that. Oh, really? That, that it's based out of. <laughs> so yeah, it's a beautiful place. Um, definitely look at the photos. But the reason why I actually wanted to have you on the show is you've had such an interesting life. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah. So before we get to, you know, get into what you're up to nowadays, yeah. how did this all start? Um, well, it started with a fateful client trip to Kansas City. Um, which is kind of bizarre. Um, in, where are you from originally? So I grew up in DC, okay. just outside DC in the Burbs. Um, went to college in DC and, um, college was most definitely not for me, but it took about seven years to figure that one out. Um, and, uh, I had quit a corporate gig in 2012. I had one of those quintessential, like, fuck you, fuck you, you're cool, fuck you, I'm out. It was April 20th. <laughs> uh, what kind of corporate job was this? Um, at this point it was in media. So, um, I was in event sponsorships and sales and I worked in advertising. Um, and I didn't realize at the time I was very, I was young. I was like 25 maybe. Um, I didn't realize what a great gig I had. Right. So I kind of took it, took it for granted. Um, and just was like, I'm done. I was just miserable. And I knew there was something more to my life, more than money because I was making a killing. But I was, you know, it was, I was miserable, right? I was working all the time. And so, uh, I had started my own business, right? My parents both own their own businesses and I figured, well, they could do it. So could I. And so I found a contract, um, to do a festival in DC and to do sponsorship and marketing for them. And I quit. And, um, what, what kind of festival is this? Well, it was called Taste of DC. It's a big food festival. Um, most cities have like Taste of Chicago, Taste of whatever. Um, and it was okay. It wasn't, you know, anything I was really in love with. And then I started getting some more clients, right? And, you know, kind of networking it. And in 2013, I had a phenomenal client who I adore, um, that needed to open up an office in Kansas City. Um, he does UX design and he was working with the IRS and wanted to grow his presence there. And he, told me about this great building he had heard of and he wanted to do an event there and it was a co-working space and i'd known about co-working i had interacted with spaces before but i had the false impression that they were only for tech startups or that the spaces in dc that i knew of were more of the you know you had to be a startup or you had to have a team and i was just a freelancer you know so yeah it was crazy because the first time i ever heard of co-working was out in Chiang Mai, Thailand, where everybody was either freelancer or an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And when I went to San Francisco on, you know, just to visit family over Christmas, and I was like, oh, let me check out a co-working space there, expecting it to be the same, expecting everyone to be an entrepreneur, expecting everyone to want to meet each other and mingle. Mm-hmm. And I got there as a WeWork, and even in their open space, nobody wanted to talk. Like, and everybody, like, I would ask people what they're up to, and they would have, it was almost like trade secrets. Mm-hmm. It was and it was completely different. And it was like heads down, headphones in. Yep. And kinda... people were basically employees of you know, uh, and and most of them were startups, but like, but they they acted more like employees than they did like remote workers because yep. I guess they weren't really remote. Yeah. No. I mean, I mean, they were just probably relocated there, or you know, a lot of uh, small to medium sized businesses now are just actually they're adjusting into co working, right? They're just not signing large leases anymore, leases of any sort. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I walked in the space and within minutes was like, holy cow, like there's other people that are kind of like me. They don't have to have like the next Uber, right? They're just a contractor or a freelancer. Um, and to be honest, like, I mean, I don't know how much time we have. It could be a very long story. <laughs> I'll try to keep it trimmed down. Um, the woman who was, uh, kind of the, the glue of the space, she kind of was like all things community manager, but also events, whatever. Um, she, saw that I did events and she had just committed to host 
the Global Coworking Conference in 2014 in Kansas City and said, hey, I'm working with this woman who's like a coworking expert and you're an events guy. You guys should probably chit chat. Um, and I was interested in coworking. I was like, okay. And before you knew it, like a couple days later, I'm on the phone with uh, Liz Elam, who, you know, founded and runs Juicy, they call it. What does Juicy stand for? Stands for the Global Coworking Unconference Conference. And so it, it kind of boggles my mind that the Global Coworking Conference or Unconference yeah. is in Kansas City. Well, yeah. So that was the, I guess, maybe the third year she had done it or fourth. I forget. I mean, the years kind of blur. It started as um, a meetup at South By. Okay. Right. It was just people that were at South By originally for to attend, and they and just South by Southwest, South for, by Southwest. Sorry, um, big tech conference and uh, innovation conference now in Austin, Texas, and people just wanted to hang out with other co-working people, and it was a meetup, and then it grew, and Liz really, I, I mean, I have to hand it to her, she saw what it could be, right, and she's grown it to you know a couple hundred people at the USA conference. There's a Canadian conference now. There's one in Australia. She just announced that there's going to be one in Dubai next year. Um, so she and I really hit it off. And um, sh- uh, at the time, uh, one of my other clients was the Ronald Reagan Building, an international trade center, which is the second largest federally owned building in the world. And they had some space that they were trying to activate to um, support the GSA contract. You know, it's a building by the people for the people. So we would do programs and events. And uh, she told me on the phone late one night, if you're really serious about co-working, then next month you should get your ass to Barcelona for co-working Europe, and you should learn about co-working. And so I got on the phone the next day with my client, the CEO of the Reagan building, and said, I think I need to go. And he said, great. And so it's so kind of funny that here we are back, you know, not in Barcelona proper, but, you know, that's where the magic happened. That was the first day of my co-working life was in Barcelona. Wow, that's crazy. And that was just a few years ago. Yeah, it was the fall of 2013. It was November 2013. And I think around exactly around that time, I started co-working too. Really? Yeah. I love it. No, maybe, maybe I, a little bit. Yeah, like in, definitely till I'm 13. It was, was it? Like summer of that maybe, yeah. So. And now it's, I mean, how much has co-working changed since then till now? Uh, night and day. Um, just the visibility or the um, awareness, right? From 2013 till about maybe even the beginning of last year or the end of 2015, I would say, oh, I, I'm in co-working or I work in co-working. People would not even understand it. Now, you know, I kind of knew we were hitting kind of mass awareness when my parents stopped thinking I was crazy. You know, when my 60-something-year-old parents were like, oh, this makes sense, right? So it, it just, it, now we're witnessing co-working evolve into thousands of different directions, right? There's co-working for fashion designers. There's co-working, you know, you've always had maker spaces, right? But now there's um, there's a co-working space in Washington, D.C. I work with. They just do government contracting. Their whole mission is to help small businesses or veteran-owned, small bu- veteran-owned businesses learn how to contract with the U.S. federal government, right? That's cool that there's all these kind of niche, niche spaces popping up. Yep. So a maker space, if you guys aren't aware, is a place for people to physically make things and you know they usually it's like a co-working space but slash workshop yeah they might have a 3d printer in there they might be have like some laser cutters or equipment that an individual would never want to why would you want to spend forty thousand dollars on something that you're going to use very little time right you know and so that actually makes a lot of sense and i'm actually surprised you don't hear about that more often like there should be spaces for you know carpentry or yeah there's a lot out there I, i think also if you really kind of want to get super deep and kind of into it, 
you know, uh, salons, they're co-working spaces. Salons have been around, you know, forever. But in theory, the um, hair, you know, the stylist or the person who cuts your hair, they're just renting that chair. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's true. Yeah. And they're sharing the the, the shampoo chair and the equipment, and the equipment yeah. right? You know, now they might have to buy some of their own equipment, right? And some of their own tools. But, you know, co-working is not a new idea. I think it's just really kind of evolving as the ability for us to work remotely has grown with it, right? I think technology and mo- I think mobility really was like the gas on the whole on the whole thing. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And you know, I, and like the more and more I think about it, like the sharing economy really makes sense. Yeah. Like I used to own, you know, a garage full of tools to change my oil mm-hmm. or like you know fix some things here and there. And I never really wanted a set of of ratchets or jack or any of this stuff. But I just figured like, oh, well, I guess I have to have, have, to have it because, yeah. you know, it's not really, I guess you can rent it. Yeah. But it'd be so much better if I can just go somewhere and be able to just, you know, use the spaces, that, you know, there, but also interact with other people who maybe have this as a hobby and they can help, you know, you can help each other out. You can learn from each other. Mm-hmm. You can, I mean, and you can, just hang out with like-minded people. Well, I think that's the magic, right? And I think that's something that is very hard to explain or describe until someone experiences it firsthand. You know, um, I ended up joining a space in 2014 in DC called Affinity Lab. And it was uh, one of the most dynamic and diverse communities I've ever met. You had lawyers, international speakers, um, they had the um, the number one most listened to indie alternative internet radio streaming station. Um, they had uh, translators, uh, creative dra- uh, gra- uh, graphic designers, um, and to prove to your to your point, um, one of the biggest or kind of craziest jobs I ever got. Um, was working with Adobe, which was the radio station I just mentioned. They sat next to me. I didn't really know what they did, but we would maybe share deliveries for like the delivery minimum. And one day the CEO looked at me and he goes, you do events? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, well, I haven't been listening in on you, but I just, you know, hear what you're talking about. He goes, we want to launch a live events division. And, you know, we've got millions of listeners all over the world. Yeah. So before you know it, three days later, I'm at Soho House in West Hollywood and I'm sitting there with Joel Madden. Uh, from Good Charlotte, who was the investor of the company, and they offered me a job and said, do you want to run a live events division for us? And it was magic, right? I mean, there was no business development spent. There was no marketing. And it was just this natural... They'd gotten to know me, right, over the course of a couple months, and it just felt perfect. And, you know... And that, that's definitely the best way to, to get any kind of gig or any kind of job. Yeah. You know, one of the reasons why I like doing this podcast organically and not having like bullet points of what we need to talk about is things unfold. Yeah. And I think this is a good time to talk about kind of like the power of networking. Yep. Because so I have a friend right now and she is just getting into her, you know, into freelancing. First time working remotely. She worked normal office job before. She, but she, now she just started traveling. She wants to work remotely and she didn't know where to go. So she was like, oh, maybe I'll fill out a profile on Upwork. She's hating the process. You know, she's writing her CV, her resume. And then somebody, you know, another friend was like, why don't you just post on your Facebook wall or in one of the the, the groups and say, hey, does anyone need anyone? Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, Seats to Meet, uh, a company in the Netherlands, they prefer, they love the term accelerated serendipity. 
um, like you just said, when you've got like-minded individuals that just run into each other naturally and get to know each other a little bit and just have a conversation, it really allows for um, authentic interactions, right? Everyone talks about how people these days are seeking authenticity and experiences, right? And networking events are not authentic, right? I worked with a gentleman from Australia uh, for a short time, brought him to DC when I had this consulting firm. And the first night in town, I took him to a networking event and he put his name badge on and he was laughing. He goes, oh, now I know. <laughs> this is going to be so appropriate. He goes, now I know what it feels like to be a woman because everyone's staring at my chest. <laughs> and I said, oh, what do you mean? And he goes, and I go, I was so used to it I, I, you know, from DC. And he goes, everyone's looking at who I am and where, I, where I'm from or who I work with. And he was like, people are just, I was like, oh yeah, you know, those networking events are not authentic because people are so uh, focused on getting a sale or finding a, a, a client or doing a, a deal that they're only going to talk to you if they think that you'll provide value rather than just chatting with someone at the coffee maker and being like, oh, you know. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. I mean, I still like going to network events, and but what I do differently is I don't go with an intention. Yeah. I don't, I normally don't even... I guess I will wear a name badge sometimes, but sometimes I won't even wear a name badge. I typically badge. don't. I take it off. Yeah. I like, I won't hand, I won't, I don't even own business cards. Neither do I. <laughs> and I usually either won't, like, won't take people's cards or I'll just automatically just toss them. Yeah. Uh, but the people that I meet kind of just naturally or through a friend or, huh. you know, just hanging out by the bar, those people I add on Facebook, you know, and, and, and Facebook is, it's, it's like this love hate thing, right? Mm-hmm. But, it really is the easiest way to connect with someone. It is immediately. Immediately. And you can do it on your phone. You don't like, you don't have to lose the contact. And you can keep in touch. I mean, one of the attendees here, uh, Matthias, you know, he and I met at a conference in South Africa and we've been Facebook friends and we chat occasionally. And, you know, I came today and gave him a big hug because this is only the second time in two years I've actually seen him. But we're friends, right? I mean, we share common interests. We talk about things. You know, Facebook Messenger is great for that. You know, no, the the one thing I hate about networking events, um, you know, people, the first question you hear is like, well, what do you do? And I've kind of developed my responses. I don't answer that question. <laughs> or I've, you know, kind of the faux pas is um, if you're out there, people, <laughs> I know you're listening. Do not give someone your business card unless they ask for it. <laughs> like that is the biggest, like, you know, I, I've, I, you just, you know, right away, that it's it's not an authentic connection when someone walks up and goes, oh hi, nice to meet you. Here's my card. Eh, no, like yeah. let them ask for your information, right? Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. And that co- giving someone your card is is wasting paper. Yeah, because there's no way they're gonna remember you or call you or just like look through it and be like, oh, you know, what happened to want it, you know? Yeah, do you know how many cards I have in my bag right now? I mean, sometimes I do need them. You know, if we do go to spaces, I need their contact information. Um, we do a lot of photo shoots. We do a lot of video interviewing. We're, we're documenting spaces in 360 now for virtual reality tours. So, you know, business cards are useful, but, you know, once you type them in, then it's like, you know, it really is a waste of paper. It kind of makes me wish, you know, years ago, the hot thing when you had a, uh, not even a Blackberry, was remember the Palms? The palm, yeah. It was like the bump. Yep. Whatever happened to the bump? You know, that used to be great because you could get each other's contact info immediately. Well, what I do is if I actually want someone's information, I took, I'll take a photo of their business yeah. card and give it back to them. Yeah. And sometimes they're offended that I'm giving it back to them. But I'm like... I tell them I'm trying to save them money. And well, I tell them, I'm like, <laughs> I, I'm like, if I keep your card, I'll lose it. But yeah. I have a photo of it now. 
Yeah. And this is forever. This is back to Google Photos. Well, or like what you just did earlier. Like, oh, here's, I mean, on Facebook or here, you know, I hand people my phone, like, just put your name in. Let's, let's keep in touch. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that was, uh, uh, that fateful trip to Kansas City was kind of, I got bit by the bug, you know, chugged the Kool Aid and I haven't looked back. I, um, I pretty much shut down Wayfair. That was the name of my, uh, consulting firm. I kind of, I guess, um, ominously named it Wayfair. I, so not like the billion dollar e-commerce company. Yeah, not not, not Wayfarer. So Wayfarer is old English for wanderer traveler. Oh, like the Wayfarer Wayband yeah. sunglasses. Yeah, and okay. so my favorite movie is Risky Business. Um, and I love you know you know so I when I first launched my company, I want I I met a lot of people that wanted to do events or or needed my help. They knew what they needed to do, but they didn't know where to go or how to do it. So I was like, oh, we're Wayfarer Advisory Group. And I was like, oh, that's a fucking mouthful. And then Wayfarer. And then I realized I was kind of my own Wayfarer because I was kind of taking all these client jobs. You know, I did amazing events with Google. I worked for the Smithsonian Institute. I worked with Adobe, Joel Madden, like world-class brands. And I was still unhappy. Like I was still lost unbeknownst to myself. Um, And it took a really great guy and a dear mentor now um, in 2015 to say, Hey, you know, someone called you a co-workaholic. I think that's, you got to do something with that. And then that kind of really was what sped up what we do now. So co-workaholic has led me around the world. I've been to hundreds of spaces and probably 48, 50 different countries. So what are you actually doing for with co-workaholic now? So co-workaholic's a blog um, on co-working. Um, it's more about on the industry. Um, we are the spaces, faces, and places of co-working. Um, and that led me to meet my new business partner now. Um, and we uh, formed a company called Communitas. And so that company does three things. We optimize shared workspaces. We help build professional communities. And we develop real estate. Is that is that name a playoff of communication Veritas? Uh, no, it was. We were sitting in Las Vegas. We were spending the week with Tony Shea at his little Airstream Park, and we had an idea for our first business under Communitas was to help independent spaces um, get bigger events and sponsorships. That's my background, right? And so I saw WeWork has a couple people in charge of partnerships, and they've got a large network of spaces and so it's easy for them to get those big corporate deals but there's way more independent spaces than there are WeWorks but when you're an independent owner operator you're all things you're like chief cook bottle washer you know giving tourist cell memberships cleaning up the bat you know you don't have the bandwidth sometimes to find events or to find partnerships and so I didn't want to get cornered as just the co-working people and so Communitas really speaks to our belief in the power of communities, right? And so how do you help support community builders like yourself, right? How do you support um, community builders? We work with a woman who runs Venture Forward for women in diversity. And so she does all these amazing events for that community. We can support her, right? Um, that's really where it came from. It, it, literally, I was just searching for like different words and we like community and i was just like what's this i was like oh it's latin for community so that's how awesome. that happened i like it yeah it was kind of it sounds it's, it's a little bit more lame than i'd hope it to be but literally it was just we we're sitting in this coffee shop in vegas and i'm like oh latin for community communitas and then we saw that the urls were available so we just bought them all up <laughs> i like it I, I i i definitely approve on that yeah so you, you hung out with the zappos's ceo yeah so um I know we're jumping all over the place. At one part of last year, I opted to move to Bali for about two and a half months, and I helped produce the co-working Unconference Asia. 
Um, so I worked out of Hubud and uh, a buddy of mine that I knew from high school is actually one of the original three co-founders of 500 Startups. Um, and he reached out to me and said, we had connected on Facebook <laughs> um, through our alumni group. And he said, hey, like, I love the shit that you post on Facebook. And I just bought an Airstream and I just tricked it out and I sold my house and I'm going on the road. We're going to take venture capitalists and uh, family office investors to small town America. And I was like, I love everything about that story. So I came back from Asia when the conference was done and we hopped into an Airstream and we went to Tulsa, Oklahoma. We went to Albuquerque, New Mexico, Omaha. And Vegas was one of the stops. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. So what were these things that you were posting on Facebook? Um, I was posting a lot of the co-workaholic blog posts okay. that I was uh, writing about. I was doing a lot of, um, I do a lot of Facebook live videos of spaces. A lot of people that want to open a space, they don't necessarily have the budget to travel and explore. So I bring it to them. And so he just loved that. And he had opened a space in DC um, called Disruption Corp that was acquired by 1776. And so he wanted on this road trip to plant himself in each city in a different co-working space. So for the Vegas stop, the tech, the Vegas tech fund was our host and they put us up. Um, Tony has this amazing Airstream park. They call yeah, I've it. I've heard of it. Yeah. Oh, it's called Llama Lapolis. Okay. And they've got llamas and chickens and dogs. And it's a mix of Airstreams and tiny houses. And some of the Zappos, very few Zappos employees live there. There's some digital nomads. There's friends of Tony's. And so that's where they put us up. We, we pulled in. They have a couple empty spots. So that's where we put one of the Airstreams. So that's, uh, that's why that's I was cool. there. So yeah. if you guys aren't familiar with the Airstream, it's what, like a big silver... It's a big like silver bullet almost. Yeah. It's like the fancy schmancy like retro uh, camper, I guess. You know, it's a it's a trailer, RV, not an RV. It's not an RV because it's not built-in motor. It's a trailer. Um, and it's kind of like classic Americana, right? It's, it's a it's a, it's an American-made you know, product, it's kind of like very retro and it's very are, are now they, back yeah. in. Are they making new ones or are people just restoring them? No. So they've always stayed in production. Um, their sales are actually going up um, and they have a brand new model. I'm not, I'm not selling for Irish, I promise, but they have a new model they just released that's most definitely targeted to a, um, it's a smaller size, cheaper for uh, millennials or folks of our age because they do their price thing not cheap yeah they're, I, they're not cheap how much were the originals and how much is this one? Oh god i've i have no idea but i mean you can spend over a hundred thousand dollars i mean and fully customized right so the one that paul um uh, his store is called results junkies the results junkies airstream i mean it's branded i mean he uh he even brought <laughs> he brought samples of the cherry cabinets and the granite countertops from his home he brought it to the airstream factory and that's what they used to customize it right and he put in um like you can optimize the battery packs for like all like heavy tech usage lighting you name it i mean you can trick them out pretty cool okay yeah that, you, yeah cool. you can rack up you can rack up a pretty pretty hefty price yeah but you know even though these things are very very expensive compared to like an rv or a trailer mm -hmm. it's still like the fact that you know these Tech entrepreneurs like Tony Shea are living in these mm -hmm. instead of living in a multi-million dollar mansion. Yeah. It's still like a very minimalistic kind of cool way to live. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that if you take a look at, I mean, even Steve Jobs or Mark Zuckerberg, you know, they wear the, the jeans and the t-shirt or the jeans and the hoodie. Um, I've even streamlined. I followed that um, 333 clothing blog. Are you familiar with that? I've, I've heard of it. Yeah. it Life-changing. Life-changing because not, not only can I now live three weeks on the road out of a carry-on 
With 33, so it's 33 items. 33 items. Total, including your shoes. Yes. And you have to be able to live off of it for three weeks? For three months. Three months. Well, wow, so okay. the, the rule is every three months, it's technically for seasons, you can then swap stuff out, right? Mm. You know, um, underwear and workout clothes and pajamas don't count against it. Um, but there's so many less, I mean, there are so many decisions and choices that I have to make on a day-to-day basis that have major implications. I don't want to have to stand in front of a closet and be like, what am I going to wear today? I, and I grew up going to school with uniforms, right? I just want to just put some clothes on, you know? I can imagine all the women who do this thinking, oh, I could have 26 pairs of leggings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my, and my it's, yoga tights. And it's tough because yeah. I was, you know, I was back home with my mom a week or two ago, real fast in DC, and we went shopping and I was like, oh my God. There's a pair of really great suede shoes and they're on sale. I was like, I've always wanted a pair like that. And I was like, nope. I was like, what are you going to do with that? I was like, come on. So I think people that might have experienced what our culture defines as quote unquote success, I think that they realize that there's more to life than that. There's more to life than those massive closets with, you know, the bars and the, you know, the seating areas and the big houses. You know, I don't think that makes you happy. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And I think we always feel like we need to fill up empty space in a, in a house. Yeah. So whenever I moved into a new place, you always end up moving in a bigger place first off. Like you almost never down like downsize unless you have to. Then you feel bad that you have to downsize. Yeah. So people are always you know, moving into bigger spaces. And then I feel like I have to buy more furniture to fill up this yeah. corner or this room. And I think now I could live somewhere and just have it be empty. I actually kind of like that minimalistic look. Yeah. But... I think if if it wasn't for the fact that you know I had to sell everything to move to Asia, and I, I never would have known that. And by yeah. being in a tiny house, you know, or living in a, out of airstream, it's one of those ways it forces you to have less. Stuff. Oh, mo- most definitely. Well, and that's you know I got rid of my place in DC in the fall of 2015 because I had been traveling so much, and I literally downsized to three boxes. Right. Um, and even to this day, even though I'm in a 25,000 square foot warehouse in Chicago, I literally live on an air mattress. Right. I've been there for almost a year. I'm not there as much, but you know, I've got a little like temporary little closet just so that dust doesn't get on my stuff. And I've got an air mattress. That's all you need. Right. You know, it, it just frees you up. I just, when I got rid of all that stuff, I sold everything. Right. And I just, you know, just felt relief. I just felt I, I had freedom and, you know, was able to go do stuff. I like it. So, t- so tell me about this, the space that you have now. Yeah. So, you know, Noah, my business partner and I came up with this idea for Communitas in, in Vegas. And, um, he had just left WeWork. He was the global expansion lead and, um, he was dead set on moving or going to Chicago to meet with Red Bull. Um, and said, Oh, I think we can pitch them on a partnership. And I was like, yeah, go for it, you know? And so I was still on this tour. I didn't, I wasn't ready to leave and I was still kind of committed to it. And, uh, he goes to this coffee shop in Chicago and the person from Red Bull didn't show up and blew him off. And I guess it was, you know, if he's not at WeWork anymore, they weren't interested. And he looked up and saw a gentleman that he knew, excuse me, that did all of his, um, signage for the WeWork he opened in Chicago. And his name is Mike, of course, because there's not enough Mikes on our team now. And Mike goes, Hey, Noah, I just bought a, a building. Um, he bought two buildings actually, but he, I bought a building and my brother wants to put in all this co-working. I don't know this. You should come check it out. And Noah checked it out and immediately said, this is not right for co-working where you are right now in this neighborhood. It, it's not going to work, but private offices will work. A venue will work. There's a really great backyard and there's something potentially upstairs. So he called me 
and I was still in Vegas. And he goes, I'm going to pitch him on this concept for about 18 months prior to this. I've been, I had been working on what the evolution of a business model for co-working could be. It might not be signing a lease. Maybe it's like a hotel. Maybe you work for the owner or with the owner. So Noah says, can I pitch this idea? And I said, yeah, sure, whatever. I've been pitching it for 18 months, no one bit. And three days later, he sends me a text and he goes, we just got the keys to this building. <laughs> Get your ass out to Chicago. And that was a year ago. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, so we've redeveloped it. Um, we've got a food truck uh, park-ish in the backyard. I mean, we've, we've, we've made it so that food trucks can pull in. We do have them occasionally. There's a brewery next door. We've got a big-ass backyard that we turfed. We do. We have a bocce company that's based in our building, so they do all these really cool bocce tournaments. Well, so bocce is uh, the... Italian lawn bowling. Okay. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you see all those old men in Italy throwing those balls. Um, and then we've got a venue for hire, which is beautiful, um, turnkey audiovisual. And then the upstairs where we're living um, will eventually be kind of, not a co-living, but it will be like en suites that are available for rental. Um, but yeah, that, that was a year ago. Um, and we're now working on our second property in San Francisco, um, right, uh, right at 16th and church. It's pretty fucking perfect. It's two blocks from Dolores Park. So I'm really curious, like, how do these, how do these deals work? So you and your partner with Mm -hmm. Coworkaholic, you guys develop the space and you run it, but then then, then there's a guy that actually owns the building. Mm -hmm. So people don't realize that Marriott hotels only own 2% of all the properties that are Marriott branded. And so those hotels, for the most part, are owned by investors or larger, what they call REITs, real estate investment trusts. Um, and those can be multi-billion dollar portfolios. Um, and Noah, I have to credit him, has a great saying. A building is a box. A shoebox is a box. A shoebox can hold shoes. A shoebox can hold receipts. Or it can hold your kid's school diorama. Same can be said for a building. It's all about how you market it. It's all about how you manage it. And so we work with the owners and we teach them what we know. They know the buildings. I mean, they've clearly made enough money where they own a building. We know how to foster community or build out the space to, to maximize the revenue. Um, and then we enter into a joint venture partnership. Um, and so everyone's got skin in the game. We're all incentivized to drive revenue and keep expenses down and, uh, you know, make it profitable. And find new revenue streams that we can, you know, add to the to the building. That's really cool. Yeah, I like that because I think a lot of people they have this grand vision of building something that they want, but in their mind they're like, I can never afford to buy yeah. a building. Well, let alone you know, furniture, office furniture primarily is so expensive, and when you as a business owner, you have to hold that as a depreciating asset on your books. You know, we did an estimate. The space that we're in in Chicago, if they would have done the original concept that they thought would have worked, that would have been $750,000 just in furniture. I'm not, not even talking about build out or Wi-Fi and other audiovisuals and lighting, just fucking furniture. So a lot of folks struggle. They want to open up a space, but they don't want to sign a lease. What happens if the business goes under? Now you've got tied to a five, seven, 10 year lease that you have to pay on that, right? And then you have to do the build out. Then you have to negotiate the the tenant improvement. But until recently, most building owners have only been interested in leasing because that's all the brokers want them to, to consider because that's how the brokers make their money. Um, 2016, at the end of last year and all of this year has been very interesting. There's been kind of a 
an awakening maybe. And there's a lot more building owners out there. Maybe I think they're sitting on vacancy a little bit longer than they thought they would. Um, personally, I think we're sitting on a massive bubble. Again, I don't think we learned our lesson from 2008. And so I think you're going to see more building owners and these companies that manage these portfolios open-minded to, to how do I activate this space? Um, you know, we're working with hotels now, um, in Dubai <laughs> that are putting in co-working spaces in the hotel to help increase overall foot traffic, help increase overall food and beverage sales. Um, in addition to providing a service. Uh, for workspace for people that might be staying there. I definitely think that remote working is not going away. It's it's just growing. And whether businesses like it or not, people are going to show up at their laptops Mm -hmm. and want to work from there. Whether it's a hotel lobby or bar or restaurant or a coffee shop. Well, and it's in the business's best, you know, businesses should, in theory, want their employees to as productive as possible and you're only product as productive as you are comfortable and so people aren't necessarily comfortable in working in all those like massive open offices or in dark dank cubicles you know sometimes people like working in cafes and people sometimes people like working in hotel lobbies or maybe they like working at the beach right you know i'm super productive when i go to puerto vallarta um because i wake up extra early I go to the co-working space. I get all of my work done. I get way more work done before 12 noon, 1 p.m. than I would have before. And then I can go to the beach in the afternoon, right? And there's a little bit more of a a life balance. Now, I might have my phone with me or my laptop. I might answer a couple calls or emails, but I want to get to the beach. So I want to get my work done, right? I I, want to be able to make that choice, right? So I think companies are starting to quickly realize Let's let the people work where they want to work, right? And let them decide um, and not f- force them in an office. And then also not kind of just throw them at home. Because I think they realize now working from home is not great. I think working from home is terrible. It's I, the worst. I know there's some people that, you know, you know like my buddy Chris, he, he's an introvert. He can just put his head down. And he, he can work all day, all night. Yeah. First off, there aren't that many people like him. Yeah, I wish know? I was like him. I can't. I I don't have the self discipline. I I can't work at home at all. Yeah. I mean, I I get. I feel antsy. Like I need to do something. So I'm walking back and forth to the kitchen. Yeah. I'm like laying laying down, taking a nap, getting up, doing this, yeah. and I just I don't feel I don't I don't feel productive. Yeah. But, you know when I'm out around, and then I get you know I think even with Chris, I don't think he even realizes that if he does this you know a couple of days in a row. He's going to get depressed because yeah. he's just not around people. Well, I mean, without, I always get torn. I think people often wonder why I'm so obsessed with co-working. I literally, it's my entire life. My father has worked from home for 28 years and I adore him. I love him and he has supported me in everything, but I've seen what it's done to him. He's out of touch, right? Um, he's in a routine that's not necessarily healthy. Um, you know, there's no physical movement really. So he has, you know, over the years gained weight. He also doesn't understand why people don't talk to him on the phone anymore. Um, the company had, you know, last year, his business, um, we, we had some challenges. Um, uh, co-working has helped solve some of those challenges. You know, he is now working with people as a veteran owned business at this co-working space in DC. Um, he's meeting some people. He's getting a little bit more motivated to maybe explore new things. 
working from home in isolation is awful. And that's what happened to me. You know, when I started this, my own business in 2012, I was in an English basement apartment in DuPont Circle. I put on 40 pounds in six months. I never realized that I was like the social butterfly of my office. I thrived off of that. I loved being on the party planning committee. I loved having chats with people at the water cooler, literally, right? And working from home, I didn't even have a reason to get showered anymore, right? And then at five o'clock, I was desperate to find a friend who'd go meet me for a drink just so I could talk to someone. You know, I knew I was in trouble when my morning consisted of like watching the Today Show until like the fourth hour of with Kathy Lee and Hoda and then being like, oh shit, like do some work, man. I just, I don't have that self-discipline. I wish I did, but I don't. Yeah. And I, I would say majority of people in the world are the same. For me, I, the most productive I've ever been in my life is probably in Chiang Mai, Thailand, where I had a routine. Yeah. So I'd wake up and I would leave the house within five minutes. Mm-hmm. I would walk to the co-working space, which is only maybe five blocks away. So you get a little sun, a little exercise. Yep. And I would have my bulletproof coffee. Yep. I would work until maybe 11, go grab a soup, come back, yep. you know, and then have a chat with people by literally by the water cooler. I, I think every yeah. place should have a water cooler. Yeah. And then by then I normally had my actual work done, but then by talking to people, I would get inspired oh, to do something else. Hands down. The, the, the happiest I've ever been was when I worked at Affinity Lab. I, it was a straight shot down U Street. Like, which you said, I'd get up, um, to my little morning routine. I'd go straight to the gym. The gym was on my way to the, you know, the space gave me a reason to get out of the house. And then I go to the gym. And then obviously we were talking earlier, you know, it's a slippery slope. If you keep up the gym routine, it's great. But the day you stop, then you don't go back. Right. So it kept me going. And then I'd walk from Vita, the gym to the coffee shop. I'd get my coffee and then I'd walk to Affinity Lab and I got an extra 30 minutes of walking, you know, each way in addition to the workout. And every day I couldn't wait to get to that space. And then when I tried to then run it, I did run it for a while, try to buy it. I couldn't wait to open up the door and I'd be at the front desk. And my members would be like, I love coming in because you're like, good morning. How's it going? Right. Um, routine is important. That's something I struggle with right now being remote. It's yeah, very hard. I'm exactly the same way. And that's why I'm trying to, I don't want to say travel less because I still like traveling, but I want to stay in places longer. So very true. I'm forcing myself wherever I go one month minimum wherever I am because at least in that month I have a chance of yeah. of developing some type of routine. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that, that right now, the way that the business is going, um, you know, we're in the middle of a 25 city tour in North America. You know, I think I understand now why celebrities or like musicians or artists or anyone who has to travel or anyone that has to travel, they struggle so hard or, you know, the thing I hate is like, Oh, everyone's, Oh, Mr. World Traveler. And like, guys, like it's really lonely. It's tough. Like, you know, waking up and not knowing exactly where you (laughs) having to remember where you are or having to deal with, you know, insane connections or, you know, delayed flights. It's, um, it's a, it's a, I know some of you are probably like, Oh, go fuck yourself. It's a, it's a catch 22, right? It just, it proves that there's the grass is greener. Oh, on the other side, always. <laughs> yeah, and, and definitely, and you know, but I, I like this life because we have the choice. We do, you know, and yeah. I think a lot of it comes out of freedom of choice. Well, I mean, that sums up exactly. Um, not just freedom of choice. I have control of my destiny because there were too many jobs that I had that I was good at. I wasn't just good; I was fucking great, and I was killing it. And I still couldn't prove myself to the boss to do something a certain way because, well, that's just not the way it's done. 
And I just felt that I'd a couple times in my career would shoot up the ladder and get promoted. And I just hit a wall. And that wall was someone saying, that's not how we do it. Or this isn't, you know, and I felt miserable because I couldn't control my destiny. I didn't have that choice. Right. And that's why I was like, that's why I was like, fuck you, fuck you. I'm out. I'm done. I want to choose who I want to work with or I want to be able to choose how we do stuff instead of just being told, oh, that that might be great. But nope, you got to do it like this. Or, you know, why isn't your expense report? You know, it's those types of things that kind of chip away at people, <laughs> you know, like office, you know, office yeah. space when <laughs> they just finally go berserk. It, it's that. Well, congratulations on you finding your. Thanks. Your, your bliss. I like it. <laughs> yeah. So. so what do you think is the, the future for co-working and for yourself? The future of co-working, I really, truly believe is um, kind of adoption into all sorts of business models. Um, we're on this tour. We're meeting amazing people that have incorporated co-working into a, a business of theirs. Um, the global co-working survey that's held or uh, done by Desmag every year this year um, published data a third of the spaces almost a third don't have to be profitable because they're part of a larger business so I really do think that the future of co-working is incorporating co-working into the other models right so like part of a, a cafe and they're making money at the cafe exactly or for example uh, in Singapore Mozilla Firefox had a lot of ec- extra unused or underused space they converted it into co-working for some of their most engaged, like open source developers so that their, their employees could naturally interact with people that were already, uh, you know, helping contribute to the product. Yeah, that's cool. Um, or, um, I think so it's a, it's a corporation of like a, a business model. So the hotel project in Dubai, you know, it's a hotel. That's the primary function, but they've got co-working or also the niche, like, but you know, in San Diego, there's a co-working space called Enrich just for attorneys. And the woman that runs it is a recovering corporate, you know, attorney and said, there's something wrong in our industry where every attorney kind of like hates their life. Right. And so she exited and started her own thing. And she designed a space that was specifically for the needs of attorneys, right? So there maybe are some more private offices because maybe they do have security issues or they need to have, you know, confidentiality. Um, and they've got some other, you know, um, like uh, access to a library, you know, uh, so other amenities that a, a larger firm would have. So I think the future really is adoption of that's, co-working. That's in, really cool. I like that. You know. And actually, I think, I think you hit uh, two big points there. First is kind of like the niche co-working spaces. So instead of a space that, is for you know pretty much anyone yeah. you know do you have designers and coders and programmers yeah. and you know blah 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 just sharing a space I I, I, can, I can definitely see and I don't know have, have you started seeing niche spaces that are like just for illustrators or just for designers? oh god yeah so there's um I can't think of the name of it right now but a, a, a buddy from Berlin developed a co-working space this was genius for a media company 
And the concept was it was free co-working for freelancers and media creators, and it gives them immediate insight into what's going on. And then they'll then purchase that content or if, you know, if they need to, you know, create video or whatever, get copy, right? So that's great. Um, there's amazing spaces. One's called Artisans Asylum in Mass in Boston. 70,000 square feet. They've got plasma cutters. They've got 3D printers, but they've also got like, it, it's a makerspace, but co-working space, but, um, uh, kind of focus more on industrial needs. There's the government contracting space, Eastern Foundry in Washington, DC. There's spaces called Hera Hub that are female focused and spa influenced. There's, um, shared kitchens right? Which is brilliant. You've got a commercial kitchen that during the day is utilized by individuals that might have a home-based food business that needed to grow and expand. And then at night, they rent it out to food trucks that need prep space, right? I mean, I could go on. I mean, there's so many different ways. That's cool. That- and you know, I think a lot of times when we think about co-working, we just think of like a, a place for a freelancer mm-hmm. or a digital nomad to go. But you just kind of really just opened everyone's eyes thinking like everything could be a co-working space. Yeah, I mean, I can I can only imagine how many times my friends eyes have rolled over in their heads cuz I'm like, "Oh my god, that could be co- that could be, you know, there's so many different areas or different industries that could be served by co-working or that currently are served by co-working." And I think that this is kind of part of the larger sharing economy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just it's, you know, we car ownership is down, right? Because you can just share the car. You can use those apps. Um, you can do Airbnb. You can share, you know, there's um, sharing libraries now. Why buy a sewing machine if you only need a sewing machine three times a year? If or why ever? buy a printer? I don't think anybody should own a printer. Yeah. But if you have access to a printer at a recording space, great. Yeah. So I, I think that, I think the future of co-working is just adoption into different industries, different business models and, and people's lives. You know, we work, People are afraid of them if they own the space. They shouldn't. You know, in one of my previous lives, I was a store manager for Starbucks, right? So Starbucks has made it socially acceptable to drop $6 or more <laughs> on a coffee, right? But take a look at the independent coffee shop industry. It's booming, right? Because everyone loves those craft, you know, Starbucks is kind of a commodity now. It's like, oh, it's like your go-to like safe bet. But people really love fancy coffee or, you know, just maybe better levels of different beans, whatever, right? WeWork is helping make it socially acceptable or helping raise awareness that, oh, you can pay 50 bucks a month to share some space or you can pay $700 a month for an office. And I think as that awareness grows, so will those smaller niche spaces, right? Yeah. And definitely, especially if someone makes those niche spaces, I don't want to say better because better is kind of a different term. Um, Because what is better? But better for the individual or yeah. their needs. So we work like just like Starbucks, you know, it's gonna be generically good for a lot of people. Yeah. But there's gonna be, be people who want to go to I don't know, let's say like a paleo themed exactly like coffee shop instead. Oh yeah. Or a you know, not everyone wants to, to work out of a WeWork if they are, let's say, a YouTuber. Yeah. They would love to be able to go to a space that's actually designed and, you know, for people to film and edit. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a space in New York City that's owned by Damon John from Shark Tank called Blueprint. And it's a space for fashion designers, right? And they can share the sewing machines and cutters and, you know, the, not the models, the mannequins and everything. It, it's, it's the, util- and maybe even the models. Yeah. And even maybe the models. <laughs> it's, it's just, um, I guess space utilization or just it's efficiency. I just, I just find it to be just far more efficient and just smarter to say, Hey, I'm not going to buy all this equipment. 
right? You know, I, I, I worked for a, a brief time for a boutique event firm and uh, they had to have like their own office. And it just, that's a, that's a large expense, right? I mean, when you have to brand your own office, you have to sign a lease, you have to buy the furniture. Imagine how much more cash would be freed up if you, and headaches you'd not have to worry about if you just show up to a co-working space, right? You don't have to worry about getting a cleaning contract. You don't have to worry about dealing with a slumlord. You don't have to worry about your utility bill, getting an internet. You just show up. So I think just co-working is going to help more people become successful business owners. I definitely like that. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to spending this week. I'm so stoked. Out, I'm just excited. I got, yeah, we finally got to meet. I've heard so much about you. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh-huh. And this space is fucking incredible so far. Yes. So stay tuned for next week. We're going to talk about how the actual retreat went. Uh, I am curious. Uh, what is kind of the future for you? What do you, what do you have planned? I don't know. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, as of right now, the future is going to involve a lot of Dubai. And uh, there's great stuff in Chicago. I love Chicago, but uh, I'm still on the road, right? So the future is just going to be more uh, more spaces, uh, documenting more. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I uh, I really can't imagine doing anything else other than what I'm doing right now. So it's hard to kind of think about, you know, I, I just, the future for me would just be continuing to explore new spaces, helping raise awareness, you know, helping space owners improve their businesses. I, I like that. Please tell all the spaces on my behalf to have comfortable chairs, yeah, <laughs> good height desks, and stop designing spaces just for, for the photo yes. to make it actually usable. Yeah, <laughs> most definitely. And on top of that, we always try to tell them or remind them, stop taking photos of empty spaces. <laughs> oh, yeah. These beautiful spaces that all over on their websites is just nothing but blank. It's all empty. It's beautiful, but there's no people. You need to have people in your space. I can definitely see that. Yeah. So people want to f- follow along or get in touch with you. What's the best way to reach? Yeah. So it's coworkaholic.com. Um, we are on Twitter at, at the coworkaholic and on Instagram at at coworkaholic. Okay. Perfect. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited that we were we just kind of d- dove into it. It's fantastic. Well, let's go dive into some wine and tapas now. Yes, please. <laughs> all Thanks. right, everyone. I'll see you guys all next week. Bye-bye. Hey, guys. I just want to give a really quick thank you to everyone who's been leaving all these amazing five-star reviews of the podcast on iTunes. You guys rock, and you guys are the reason why we're able to continue doing the show every single week and bringing you all these amazing people who are quite frankly like living really incredible lives that we can all look up to and get some inspiration from so this week i want to thank run morado who said start here take action five stars through johnny fd's podcast i've learned about a variety of location independent opportunities love how he always has a tip scoop or hack to share excellent interviewer as a result i'm taking action thank you johnny so thank you and also thank you to chip streak our sponsor for this week next time you guys need to fly out maybe to a monastery in the middle of Spain, check out tripstreak.com slash travel like a boss. See all of you guys next week. Peace out. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.